you have increased central nervous system fatigue. So you've kind of quote, lost your mojo. Um, you can't hit that anaerobic capacity. So you have a greater predisposition to putting yourself into that overtraining or overreach state, getting some um, immune compromisation. So there's lots of little things that can tip a female athlete over the edge. That Triathlon Show, episode 105. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Dr. Stacy Sims. We discuss training, nutrition, hydration, and recovery considerations that are specific for female athletes, because as we'll get into in the interview, women are not small men, and most research in endurance sports is done with male college students, so it's not necessarily a representative sample. So Stacy is an exercise physiologist and nutrition scientist. Her role is as a senior research fellow at University of uh, Waikato. I should have checked how to pronounce that. It's uh, in New Zealand. I did not, so I might have gotten that wrong, but uh, hopefully it's okay. Uh, Stacy specializes in uh, sex differences with regard to things like exercise stress, heat stress, nutrition, recovery, and uh, the impact of all of these things on health, body composition, and endurance performance. And she is uh, finally also the author or co-author of the book Roar, Women Are Not Small Men, Stop Eating and Training Like One. So I think that subtitle is uh, really good and tells you what it is about. Before we dive into the interview, this episode is sponsored by Precision Hydration. Andy Blow, founder of the company, recently wrote a great blog post on how much dehydration you can tolerate during an Ironman. And in a nutshell, the sweet spot is likely highly individual and uh, and may even be a bit different for the same athlete on different days and in different climates. But it probably falls in the 2-4% to body weight range for most people. Uh, so that is something that I will link to in the episode description if you want to read that post. And of course, as a Datri Aflon Show listener, you will get your first box or tube of precision hydration electrolyte product for free when you use the code that triathlon show all one word on precisionhydration.com and note that uh, previously this campaign was running until uh, the end of february but that's actually something that uh, i recently talked uh, to dave at precision hydration about and uh, We'll extend that offer so it's valid for the time being. So uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, use that. This episode is also sponsored by Triathlon Corner, the triathlon webshop on triathlon-corner.store. That's uh, your go-to place whether you're looking for a new wetsuit, running shoes, bike computers or power meters. They've got you covered. And right now, all That Triathlon Show listeners can get 10% off all purchases by using the discount code Show. All one word, all caps, just like the Precision Hydration code on, again, triathlon-corner.store. 
All right, let's get on with the show and listen to Dr. Stacy Sims. All right, so on today's episode of That Triathlon Show, I'm welcoming Stacy Sims, PhD, to the show. Stacy, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. This is uh, a very, very requested uh, episode because there uh, there have been a lot of female athletes writing in and they want to hear more about the if there are specific considerations for uh, that population. And that's what you specialize in. Uh, can you just briefly break down exactly what in terms of uh, the female uh, training, uh, nutrition, physiology it is that uh, and everything that you do that you uh, that you're an expert in, basically? Oh, well, how long do we have? <laughs> um, so 30 seconds, 30 seconds. <laughs> so pretty much everything that's out there on training and nutrition from a scientific perspective has been done on 18 to 22 year old college age men. And when you start to um, look how that affects women, women are leaving a lot on the table with regards to performance potential because they are training and recovering um, like men, and we have a menstrual cycle and different hormones that really perturb um, the way that we respond to things. And once you start taking that into account, you can get that extra performance potential out for the women so they improve across the board. Okay, brilliant. That's uh, You hit that uh, 30 seconds uh, right uh, right on the head, so, so that's perfect. Let's start with training, perhaps. Uh, what uh, different considerations uh, come into play with, with training for women compared to men? Yeah, so I, I guess the, the basis of it is to look at a woman's menstrual cycle. So when we talk about that, uh, a typical cycle is 28 days where day one is the, the first day of bleeding. And um, the onset of bleeding is because estrogen and progesterone drop. So the first two weeks of a woman's cycle, so day one to 14, this is where they can um, really work to to improve their strength and their overall top end power, their aerobic or their anaerobic capacity. And then when they start getting to the high hormone phase, which is day about uh, 20 to 28, this is where estrogen and progesterone are at their highest. And it's really hard to hit that top end. So if you're thinking about how to scope training and recovery, you work with that cycle where you want to put the really high, hard, intense work, this first two weeks and then look at about the five to seven days before the menstrual cycle starts again or the bleeding starts again and use that more as a maintenance or a steady state phase. And this can go across the board from, you know, all of the endurance stuff to also strength. There's been some really good tidy studies that have come out looking at um, strength training and showing that women who do five days of strength training for those first two weeks and then um, back it down and do more of a maintenance phase in the last week before the bleeding starts actually gain more lean mass and lose more body fat than women who do that typical three times a week across the board for four weeks. So there's some really interesting stuff that's coming out about training in and around the menstrual cycle. And that's the way you can maximize p potential. 
Yeah, that that's very useful and uh, and something that uh, yeah I've had this discussion with with some some athletes that I coach as well and it's uh, great to for both women but also for coaches that that are coaching female athletes to to learn more about this uh, so uh, great is there uh, a risk for even you mentioned that it's more difficult to hit the high power and anaerobic stuff in a days. 21 to 28 you said uh, of the cycle but are there also bigger risks of even getting sick or overtraining or just uh, more difficult to recover in that period or anything else that that happens there yeah so the high hormone phase um specifically what happens is your core temperature is elevated you lose more total body sodium um you have a harder time recovering because progesterone is catabolic so it's it's harder to repair the muscles you have increased central nervous system fatigue, so you've kind of, quote, lost your mojo. Um, you can't hit that anaerobic capacity, so you have a greater predisposition to putting yourself into that overtraining or overreach state, getting some um, immune compromisation. So there's lots of little things that can tip a female athlete over the edge. And if you're not paying attention to what specifically you're doing in that high hormone phase, that last week before bleeding starts, you might just tip yourself over the edge. So that's where it becomes more of a, of a key point. Got it. And what about nutrition and hydration? If we bring those into the discussion as well uh what how do they uh should they change with the cycle somehow yeah so um again when we think about um you know you have this carbohydrate intake that you have per hour and there's a few things to consider that aren't necessarily phase related where women have a reduction in their ability as compared to men to absorb fructose. So for example, men can absorb 66 grams of fructose per hundred. Women can only absorb 26 and that's across the board. So when you're thinking about their typical sport nutrition products, women will- Is, is, that, is that per 100 grams of carbs total that men can absorb 66 yeah. and or- Oh, not carbs, yeah. fructose. Okay fructose. So when you're thinking about a typical, um, you know, sport nutrition product, that's a mix of maltodextrin, glucose, and fructose, women can't absorb maltodextrin or fructose as well as men. So it sits in the gut and women are also more predisposed to having um, gastrointestinal distress because estrogen causes a little bit more of the inflammation and leaky gut. So when you're thinking as estrogen rises at ovulation and in the high hormone phase, there's a higher predisposition for leaky gut. And then when you're introducing um, your typical sport nutrition products in there with a higher amount of fructose and maltodextrin because it's been primarily tested on men, then again, it can cause severe GI distress. And I can't tell you how many female athletes email me and say, should I be taking Imodium? I'm afraid of you know having diarrhea on the run of my Ironman. And you're like, okay, well, let's see what phase you're in. Let's back it down. Let's work with inflammation. Let's take away some of this fructose and other things you're, that you're ingesting. And then it's a non-issue. But when we're thinking specifically um, across the menstrual cycle, women have a, an ability to conserve more carbohydrates. So they don't need as much in the first two weeks because their body can access it really well. But as estrogen rises, it also um, inhibits carbohydrate coming from the muscle. So it facilitates free fatty acid use, which in some regards is good. But the flip side of that is you can't hit intensities or anything that you're used to. So you need to take in a little bit more carbohydrate. 
Mm, yeah, so so you have that. Uh, so so you you're saying that you you can't really tap into those carbohydrate stores. So so you need to take in carbohydrate. Is that in workouts or is that in general day to day nutrition as well? In workouts. So in workouts. if you're thinking about yeah, so if you're thinking about how are you going to maximize your training, you want to fuel before, during, and after, and then the rest of your diet is kind of arbitrary for the most part. So. If you're thinking about, I have this high intensity workout and it falls a few days before my period starts and I'm not that sure I'm going to be able to hit those intensities, then add a little bit more carbohydrates so you can hit those intensities. Um, But if you were to do that same workout a week later after your period starts, then you don't have to add that extra carbohydrate. Your body is primed and ready to go because it can access all the fuel that it needs to to hit those intensities. Okay, perfect. But but then they should obviously check the package of the gel or the sports drink and uh, make sure that it's not too high in fructose to to get that right as well. What what about hydration? Is uh, is that something that that changes, or or are there general differences that we can go into right now between women and men when it comes to hydration needs? Yeah. So this is a, another big contention because there's different schematics to think about um, when we think about. Uh, hyponatremia that's coming you know, for, to the forefront of a lot of races now. People are experiencing hyponatremia. So this is where your drink of thirst comes from. Um, women, again, are more predisposed to hyponatremia. And it's not because they have slower times or larger um, body surface areas. It's because their body kicks out more total body sodium because of progesterone. And they sit clinically closer to hyponatremia than men from a a standpoint of what their blood measures. So they are predisposed to it. So they need to think about what are they eating? What are they drinking? Let's drink something that's functional. So not a typical sports drink. It's too high in carbohydrate. There's not enough sodium and potassium to help fluid availability. So there's lots of thought process that goes into what a woman should be drinking Um, and what a woman should be eating because it's not about electrolyte replacement. It's all about fluid availability. So if you are eating and drinking stuff with sodium in it and the stuff that you're drinking is part of the new generation of the lower carbohydrate, higher electrolyte content, then it attenuates that hyponatremia risk. The other factor to consider is when a man and a woman both do the same race and they're similar times, when they finish a man's blood sodium level will be higher than the woman's because men tend to finish um, endurance events with um, hypernatremia, meaning higher blood sodium levels, and women tend to be on that lower end. And that's a specific sex difference. So when you're starting to look at the literature and see all this drink to thirst stuff, um, there's a little bit of a nuance there because again, they're not taking the sex difference into consideration. The other thing is that your thirst sensation alters as you start going longer and longer. And in men, um, the salty and the sugar sensation from a drink is 
not as strong as it is for women. So women will drink something like a Gatorade or a Powerade when they're two or three hours into a race and they're like, oh, I can't drink it anymore. And a man will be like, nah, that's all right. Because this palatization is still another sex difference. So women will tend to drink less than they need to. And then they'll be super thirsty and then just start drinking the water. And this, again, predisposes hyponatremia. And then the last thing... The last thing on top of that is in that high hormone phase, a woman's plasma volume, so the water part of her blood, drops by 8%. So she's already starting a race compromised with the water fluid availability for sweating. So women need to pay a little bit more attention to what they're drinking, how they're drinking, and what phase of their menstrual cycle they're in to prevent getting into these clinical issues. That last thing that begs the question: If you're, if you have a like a maybe more competitive goal and you want to really maximize performance, should you plan what race you do based on on your cycle, so that uh, so that you're not in a phase where you're well. Anyway, you have all these other things that you mentioned: not being able to hit intensities, but also a decreased blood plasma volume is going to be uh, a big detriment to endurance performance. So, so is that something that uh, that you recommend doing? Planning the races based on your cycle? No, because then it becomes too difficult. And the reason why I say that is we know all this stuff that happens with the menstrual cycle and we can put it out there and say all of these things, but it's not a fear factor. And it's not like, oh, now I have to plan my race because I'm not going to race well. It's knowing this and then putting specific interventions in to prevent the negativity of those high hormone phases. Um, it's the same as like someone who has patellofemoral syndrome and you're like, well, you have this race to do, but leading up to it, you're, 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 you're talking to that guy. Okay. So leading up <laughs> to it, you're going to do all the things possible to avoid the pain, right? So you're going to be taping, you're going to be rehabbing, you're going to be taking naysaids and doing everything to get to the race as good a condition you possibly can. So when we think about the menstrual cycle, you're training around the menstrual cycle, you're altering your nutrition to enhance those adaptations. And then most likely because of stress, your cycle is going to change. And I can't tell you how many women are like, my period's going to come on race day, no matter how well they've planned everything. So this is where you're like, okay, five to seven days before your period starts, we're going to work on dampening the inflammation response that these hormones cause. So you're taking magnesium, you're taking zinc, you're taking an omega-3 fatty acids. You are looking at... Um, specifically changing your race and training nutrition to increase the amount of carbs and sodium that's in there. You're recovering well by increasing the amount of protein that you're taking post-exercise and throughout the acute recovery period. So there's specific nutritional interventions that you can do to mitigate all of these supposed negative effects. And then it becomes a, a moot point. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense. And when you put it that way, and and I think that's a good segue actually to talk a little bit about your book Roar, which uh, goes into these topics, so so that uh, the listeners can find out all the specific details, I guess, on on these things. So, uh, can you talk about Roar just a little bit? Oh yeah, um, Roar. It came about kind of in a conversation that I was having with Celine Yeager, my um, co-author where she was involved in quite a few of the women's camps I was doing when um, I was working with Osmo. And, and 
did quite a bit of stuff with her when, when, and she was writing with bicycling and she's like, you know, we need to put this in a book. So instead of me going off and doing seminars and podcasts, we put it all in a book. Um, so it's uh, pretty much a review of all the literature and then disseminating it out. So it talks about, you know, are you pregnant? Are you not? Are you menopausal? Are you not? Are you on an OCP? Are you not? Are you regularly cycling? How to change your nutrition, how to change your training, how to adapt to the heat, how to um, use pee sticks to really dial in your nutrition. Um, everything from like how to counter um, premenstrual syndrome and the bloating. Um, you're not leaning up. Are you in low energy availability? Um, what is your body type? How can you eat for that? So it goes into all the details and, and everything that I think women need to know and probably don't know. Um, yeah. So pick a chapter. And, about and, it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the sub headline, women are not small men. Stop eating and training like one. I think that sums it up pretty well. So we'll have it uh, linked to in the show notes and the episode description so people can go in and have a look. You mentioned there uh, if uh, the pregnancy and and menopause, uh, can we talk a little bit about first pregnancy? Are there any specific things to consider for training nutrition during pregnancy? Yeah, this is an interesting one because um, it's very hard to get research ethics to study pregnant women. So most of the research out there is uh, case studies, a little bit of anecdotal stuff, and then there are some controlled trials that aren't intervention trials or more observational. Um, and the thing about it is if you are fit and racing and you become pregnant, just keep going, keep doing it. You're going to top up your calories, but not eat for two because you don't need more than 150 to 200 calories extra a day for the first trimester. Second trimester might be 300 the last trimester might be four to 500. So women think, oh gosh, I'm pregnant. I need to eat more, just a little bit more. But think about what you're eating and the fact that you're growing something and you're regenerating yourself. So you want it to be really good food, paying attention to um, you know, your B vitamins and some of the um, more important vitamins that your, your doctor is going to tell you about. But when it comes to training, don't stop because you feel like you're going to impede or hurt the baby. There's a few things that aren't discussed. Um, one, when you are exercising and you cut off a little bit of the blood flow um, to the uterus and the growing fetus, it's not harmful in the fact that that response is going to increase capillarization of the placenta, so then the baby gets increased blood flow. There's also lots of research out there to show that if you are continuously exercise as an athletic woman, then you're downplaying the genetic predisposition for the baby to become obese or develop diabetes or develop cardiovascular disease. So you're setting up a really great DNA blueprint for your baby. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And there's all this worry about going anaerobic. Your body does not let you go anaerobic when you become pregnant. It, it's, it's like a, a fail-safe mechanism. Um, you try to go hard and your body's like, no, 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 no. You can't do it. Um, and then you hear things like, 
I still have women whose doctors are like, you can't run. You're going to shake the baby loose. No, you're, the baby is in the uterus and it's wrapped in the amniotic sac and it's a cushion for the baby. You're not going to shake anything loose. So unless you have some kind of medical condition that tells you you need to stop exercising, keep moving. Because the worst possible thing you could do is stop. Because if you're fit and you become unfit, then it's very harmful to the baby. If you are fit and you keep going, then you are actually benefiting the baby. Yeah, I, I did an entire episode on training during pregnancy with uh, Jocelyn McCauley, uh, and uh, she said that she did uh, she did a run like twenty four hours before going into labor. She did a a run on the treadmill and yeah, ran right through all the time, uh, all the way up until until labor, basically with just a twenty four hour recovery period there. So yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll link to that as well for listeners that want to to look at more details about that. What about uh, post pregnancy? Are there any special considerations there? Yeah, the first. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so much people don't tell you after having a kid. It doesn't matter what the books say. Like you need to talk to somebody who's actually had a kid, and I'm one of those people. But I'll sh- I'll spare all the details. Um, but when you first get out of the hospital with a baby, you still look a little bit pregnant because everything's swollen. The uterus has to contract. Your hip bones are a bit wider. Your pelvis has spread. Everything's a little bit lax. So for that first six weeks, it's as if you've broken a bone. Put that in your head. And the fact that you're not going to go running, you're going to just do lots of easy stuff. You're healing. Your body's healing. You're trying to develop milk to breastfeed. So don't think about running. Just lots of light activity. Um, nothing straining and it, 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 think of it as active recovery from a race. And then when you are six weeks past and you go to your physician, then most likely will give you the, okay, you want to do a lot of pelvic floor work. You also want to make sure that your pelvic bones are realigned because many women have lots of difficulty riding and running after they have a child because the pelvic bones have widened to give birth. Sometimes when they close, there's some pelvic torsion or there could be some other misalignment. And then when you get back into training, you'll start to have a lot of pain and ligamental and bone injury. And it's because you're not aligned. So make sure you get that alignment corrected and then get back into your training. And people are like, well, what about breastfeeding? It's fine. You're going to take some calories in, pump before you do anything anaerobic, and then you can feed the baby. Um, so it becomes more of a timing thing with uh, breastfeeding and, and activity. And uh, finally, what about uh, menopause? What are the considerations that goes into into that period? Um, so the biggest thing that menopausal women need to think about is protein and power, the two Ps. So you start to lose muscle integrity. You also start to lose the ability to have fast contractions. So you want high quality protein, not soy, not rice, not pea. There's not enough leucine in there. Um, And you want to do more power-based training, not long, slow endurance training. Um, So when you start thinking about that and changing your training a little bit to have more of that high intensity stuff and increasing your protein, it mitigates some of that abdominal adiposity that is so endemic in menopausal women. It's because your body becomes more sensitive to carbohydrate and you need more protein. 
And when you look at the general recommendations that come from a physician's office, they're like soy protein and, you know, increase your carbohydrate intake to help with hot flashes. Those two things from a physiological standpoint and the research purpose, when you're looking through the literature, are the exact opposite things that a menopausal woman should do. They should increase their good protein from um, whey, casein, fish. Um, If you're vegan, then you have to look at using a combination of pea and quinoa to increase the leucine content or using vegan branch chain amino acids. Um, looking around two grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, downplaying carbohydrate except for in and around training so that you are able to increase lean mass development, attenuate that body fat gain, and then keep training hard. Two two grams uh, of protein per kilogram body weight. That's the the same amount that's recommended for endurance athletes doing two to three hours on average per day of exercise. I just did a review of the uh, joint physician statement from the uh, American sport, uh, Sports College, Medicine Sports College, and uh, some other entities. So, so that's uh, pretty interesting to see that uh, that even though they may not be training that much, they need that amount of protein. So, yeah, yeah. V- very interesting. What about when well, you mentioned they're doing more power-based training? Uh, recovery needs for that and how do you kind of from a training perspective and and planning and structuring your training integrate the sometimes often increased recovery needs for aging athletes with uh, with doing more of that power-based training that they they need so when you think about how well you have to take training history into consideration and most of us have a huge endurance training base So it's swapping out some of those long, slow endurance type stuff, which still require pretty good amount of recovery and putting in short, sharp stuff. So it can be in the gym, it can be on the bike, it can be doing running intervals. And then if you're giving yourself 36 hours of recovery, you can end up doing two days of work, but a longer amount of recovery if one workout's in the morning and the other one is the second afternoon. So you're just manipulating your training from morning to afternoon, morning, lunchtime, whatever, to give yourself that longer bit of recovery without compromising your training week. Okay, got it. Perfect. And uh, before we move into the rapid fire questions, uh, I have one listener question. We sort of covered it, but uh, can you just clarify still uh, briefly the difference in recovery needs between female and male athletes? Do they exist and what are they? Yeah, so there's um, a specific recovery window that we always talk about. You know, you hear you need carbohydrate and protein within 30 to 45 minutes. Um, And again, that's based on the recovery window of men. And when you look at the sex differences, women come down to complete baseline after 90 minutes. Men can have three to 18 hours, depending on how intense that exercise session was. It doesn't really change that much for women. And we always talk about putting carbohydrate in to replenish the glycogen stores. But the first and foremost thing that women need to be aware of is because progesterone is catabolic and you're never without progesterone, your first thing is to start that muscle anabolism. You want to kickstart into repairing the muscle and you want to get that cortisol as low as possible. So within that first 30 minutes, you're looking at 25 to 30 grams of really good high quality protein with 
you know, maybe 50 to 60 grams of carbohydrate to facilitate that protein uptake. If you do that, that opens up your window for glycogen recovery to two hours instead of just 45 minutes. Um, but for men, That's, yeah, yeah, go on. Sorry. As I say, but for men, you can do 20 grams of protein with, you know, you can do that four to one or three to one ratio of protein to carbohydrate and recover really well. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's really good. And I'm just sitting here thinking that, wow, I learned so much today that it's been a long time since I learned so much in a single podcast episode. I, and I just had this discussion with uh, post-workout nutrition and uh, and uh, yeah, realized that I kind of uh, gave the advice that is apparently applicable for men, but not necessarily for female to, to a female. So you learn something every day, don't you? <laughs> you do. Always learning, always learning. I'm always learning. Yeah. I just hope I stay yeah. at least three months ahead of everyone else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's a good goal to have. Okay, so let's move into the rapid fire questions. Take just uh, one or two sentences to, to answer these uh, and the first one is, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon or endurance sports? Um, I don't have one. I know I should, but I don't because I'm so um, wrapped up with research and stuff here that I don't have time to, to do anything else. Well, well, re research counts. Research counts, and it can be nutrition, okay. your, your field of expertise. It can be a Twitter account, the researcher you follow. Um. Gosh, I I don't. <laughs> okay, okay. I have like a, a listserv that comes through. And I'm like, oh, that's from fertility. That's from nutrition. That's from sports science. That kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm enjoying the experimental physiology, myth and methodology section. That one's interesting. Okay, uh, what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment if you have one? Uh, a bike trailer because then my kid can ride her bike with me. Nice. And finally, who's somebody in endurance sports or nutrition research that you admire and look up to? Nina Stockenfeld. Nina Stockenfeld is out of the JB Pierce lab at Yale, and she has been doing a lot of research in the past 20, 25 years on progesterone and estrogen and how it affects fluid balance in women and men. And she's just really spot on with her research, very humble, but very direct and smart. Great. So where can the listeners find out more about uh, you and uh, follow you if, uh, if they want to do so? And, uh, and also uh, mention the name of your book again so that they remember it. We'll have that linked up in the show notes, of course. Yeah, there's two places. The Dr. Stacey Sims Facebook page. Um, there's also a link to Roar there, uh, the book. And then the University of Waikato, uh, I have a staff page and I update that regularly with the research projects that I'm working on, students that I'm working with and studies that I need participants for. Brilliant. All right. Thank you so much, Stacey. It's uh, been really great talking to you and uh, I learned a lot and I'm sure the listeners will as well. It was a real pleasure having you on the show. Thanks again. It's been fun. All right, ladies. And uh, gentlemen, if uh, you're still listening too, uh, I really hope that this was uh, a super useful episode for you. It uh, definitely was for me as a, as a coach. I, my key takeaways, there are quite a few here, but uh, 
plan your training according to your menstrual cycle is something that can be super important and uh, what Stacy said is that in the high hormone phase days 21 to 28 it's not ideal to do intensity so maybe take that as a scheduled easier week or recovery week if you want to call it that. Uh, the second point I want to make is that you may need to take on more carbs during exercise in that phase as well, or in races for that matter, because your body can't access its carb stores in the same way as normal, so you need those exogenous carbs to, to be able to, to have the, the carb availability in the muscles to, to go at a higher intensity, if that's something that you, you still need to do. Also... In general, one of the differences between men and women is you need to focus especially on uh, fluid availability by planning your hydration strategy properly. And uh, you can find a lot of information about that, of course, on precisionhydration.com. So plan that properly with a focus on both the fluid and the sodium component of it. So again, just some electrolyte product so that you get your sodium and your fluid in, whether it's precision hydration or something else. If you prefer something else, it's fine, but make sure that you plan that properly and don't make it just an afterthought. Finally, post-workout nutrition. This is... uh, Something that, as I said in the interview, I did not know about at all. So for women, you need more protein, at least relatively speaking, compared to men. A good high-quality protein and the ratio of carbs to protein that you take in post-exercise is not the same as that for men. For men, it's... uh, the ratio is higher on the side of carbs. So, for example, we mentioned the uh, 4 to 1 ratio of uh, carbs to protein, and that seems to apply pretty well for, for men. But for women, the, the ratio would be lower. You'd still take on carbs and more carbs than protein, but uh, not to the same extent as uh, the guys would have to do. So that was a lot of information that we covered in this show. And if you want to check something out, then uh, as always, you can go to the show notes on thattriathlonshow.com. Make sure that if you have any questions or comments about this episode, comment on the show notes. Uh, That's uh, something that I highly recommend you doing. I get quite a lot of emails, but I'm much better at responding to the comments, uh, honestly, because... uh, I need to to focus on, on things like actually producing the podcast so that thousands of listeners can hear it rather than responding to individual emails and, of course, uh, focusing on, on coaching the athletes that I coach. So that's why I prefer it if you ask your questions in the comments section on the website because that way, when I answer your question, all of the other listeners that go to check out the show notes will see that as well and I can help many people at the same time and I don't need to answer the same question over and over again. And while you're on the website, by the way, if you're interested in getting any help in improving your training and racing this season, check out the the services that I offer, like customized training plans, consultations, I am so obsessive compulsive when I create custom training plans so much so that I I should probably stop doing it just because my hourly rate for that particular service is probably something like uh, 
on the level of a janitor in a in a developing country uh, but uh, i really like to do it as well so so if that's something that you're interested in check that out and email me and uh, as for the consultations same thing really i have a guarantee that we won't hang up the phone or close down skype until you feel that you've tripled your investment so there you go i just wanted to mention those things i think coaching and guidance they are the high leverage investments that are worth making for any triathlete if you want to improve. The next episode of the podcast is one that I'm really super excited about. I interview my teammate Katarina Larsson and my coach Andrea Kampos and uh, we talk about how you go from being an adult onset triathlete like uh, Katarina was starting as an adult new to swimming and everything and then become really really competitive as a normal age grouper uh, with a normal job normal challenges from both the athletes and the coaches perspective and Katarina has won uh, three gold medals in her in the European championships uh, age group championships I should say so so she has become really really competitive so that's uh, what's coming up and uh, before we go thank you so much to our amazing sponsors who keep this show up and running triathlon corner is the new online home of shopping the best triathlon products in the world to great prices and even better now that you can get 10 percent off your purchases by using the discount code that triathlon show all one word all caps on triathlon-corner.store and thank you to precision hydration if you are interested in taking them up on their offer to get your first box for free then make sure to first take the free online sweat test that you can find on precisionhydration.com that will give you a personalized hydration strategy for your next race and you will know exactly what which ones of their products which electrolyte strength to add to your shopping cart Again, that discount code as well is that triathlon show, all one word, all caps, to get your first box for free. And finally, thank you as always for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.